My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. How do you know if you're overthinking a potential dating situation or sort out whether someone is really interested? What if you experience violent sexual fantasies after significant sexual trauma? Is that normal, healthy, worth embracing? And what do we really need to know about consent in and outside of the bedroom? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am thrilled to have my dear friend and returning guest, Erin Tillman, aka the Dating Advice Girl, in the studio here today to help me explore these important topics. Her new book, The Consent Guidebook, is a must-read for anyone curious or eager to learn more about consent, which I tend to think is most of us. Before we dive in, though, a quick reminder to sign up for Girl Boner Extras on my website. That's augustmclaughlin.com for behind-the-scenes fun, freebies, discounts, news about my Girl Boner book, and more. I send updates about once a month. I hope you'll also find me and the Girl Boner community on social media. Just search for my name or the Girl Boner hashtag or Girl Boner Radio on Instagram and Twitter and follow along at facebook.com forward slash mygirlboner. Thank you for being here, Erin. Thank you for joining me and for writing this important book. Yay! I'm so happy to be back on the show. This feels like home to me. I've been on the show so many times now. So just thanks for wanting to have me back. It's great. And I love that I can talk, we can talk about these topics so freely. It's so important because it's a huge conversation right now culturally, but I think it can be really intimidating to a lot of people and and kind of a really heavy, serious topic. And one thing I love is you have a really fun approach and your book has cartoons and it's really digestible. What inspired you to write this book now? So, man, so many things. Thank you for saying that, by the way. It was very intentional to make this book easily digestible um, because it is a heavy topic. And I think we're I think we all have a little fatigue around um, consent. Me too. All the things fatigue, meaning it's still important. I'm not quitting. I'm just in the beginning of talking about this stuff and helping educate people around it. But it's a lot. We were just saying self-care. Like we need to have self-care and take time to really process and digest these things, but also have time for fun too, because it's a lot. So I wanted this book to be a mixture of those things. I wanted it to be informative, but also fun um, and all the things. So um, I've started writing this book probably around two years ago, just like different thoughts or, you know, I've been a dating coach for 10 years in Los Angeles. So things would come up even with clients around, you know, oh, I can't tell if, especially from male, cisgendered male clients um, who are, you know, dating women. And they're like, I don't know. Like, I can't tell if she's really interested. Do I kiss her goodnight or not? You know, those kind of things. So it was like baby steps in the realm of consent. And then obviously last year, I guess, yeah, well, let's just go ahead and say when Trump got elected um, with, you know, pussy grabbing and all of that, 
um, that was a main that like catapulted this conversation into the mainstream. For if we all have of to us. have a bright side from <laughs> the T rumpness of it all, I'm really grateful for that one. I'm not going to give him credit for it, but I do think that it has been a catalyst Absolutely. for positive change. So obviously, consent. As you said, there's baby steps. A lot of times we think of it specifically about yes or no, about mm. sex, specifically intercourse. Yes. Which is so much more broad than that. How do you define consent? So, you know, there's so many definitions of consent. I have a couple of them in my book, actually. But for me, like in layman's terms, consent is an agreed upon decision between two parties on what interaction they're going to have. It's as basic as that, an agreed upon interaction. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, there's so many, we're not going to have enough time to talk about everything. I can already tell. There's too many things and so many things. I know, exactly. But, you know, it's it's so important because you made, you just said something about um, jumping to intercourse. On another show recently, I was talking about why do we make the assumption that if someone starts with kissing, that immediately that means they're going to want to have intercourse. Grey's Anatomy. Just kidding. That's, that's <laughs> no, not really culture. why. But if you look at culture, right, so many shows, and I, I understand it to a, a degree because if you actually took the time mm. to put a full sex scene in a TV show, mm-hmm. it could be the whole TV show. Yes. So they kind of like go in real like, time. You mean exactly? Yeah. Yeah. So it's more like we're turned on, swing, swing, <laughs> bang, bang, smooch, smooch, breakfast. Yes, yes. Or kick to the curb, what have you. However, it plays out in whatever show you're watching. And I but- love Grey's Anatomy, by the way. That wasn't a cut. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that we do have a. If there's a kiss, there's going to be sex. Yeah. Well, and I have a real life example of this. I went on a date with someone about a month and a half ago. Super cute guy. Um, We're having drinks. I told him, I like to tell people straight off the bat, okay, so just so you know, you should know that I'm a dating coach for one. And number two, you should know I'm writing a book about Me Too and consent. And if those are deal breakers, that's good. It's a good weeding out process. Uh, Um. Not, I've never had anyone say, oh, I got to leave, like, immediately after. But sometimes I don't, there won't be a second date or a follow-up date afterwards. But typically, there's always respect. There's always, guys that go out with are always respectful of, like, wow, that's amazing you're doing that. Like, there's always that reaction. Long, long story short, though, drinks with this guy. You know, I told him I was writing this book. He said, he says to me, and I appreciated his honesty. He says, you know, I got to be honest, though. I don't understand when women invite men to their place and don't have sex with them. And I said, I know, let that simmer for a second, marinate for a second. And I was like, okay, interesting. So you're saying that if a woman invites you to their place that you have, there has to be some sort of sex if they're inviting you up to the place. You can't just go upstairs and make out a little bit. You can't just go upstairs and cuddle a little have bit. Have a sandwich. Have a sandwich. What exact coffee? Right, yeah, exactly. And he was like, "No, it feels weird." He did say something about his uh, grandmother. It's what my grandmother told me. Again, there's a generational thing which I'd love to talk about at some point. For in my estimation, there's a lot of quote unquote rules that we follow that are a little old school and not current to Absolutely. what's happening. Absolutely, and and I think you're right. So much of it is generational and also comes from because we don't learn about this stuff in school. Hopefully, yes. your, your book might make its way into schools. Yay. But because we haven't had that that information about relationships and dating consent, mm. we look at TV, we look yes. at these things. One of my favorite movies growing up has actually been outed many times as bad examples of consent. I'm going to give you a hint here and see if you know what it is. Uh, just makes you want to sing. I know. 
buffet. Right? I know. So the movie is. It's Grease, of it's course. Grease. And so there's also a scene that gets a lot of attention for good reason where Sandy and Danny are at the drive-in. Mm-hmm. And he literally pounces on her, pushes himself on her. Yes. She yells at him, yep. pushes him off, slams the door on his freaking erection, <laughs> stomps off. <laughs> And, of course, they end up, you know, all lovey-dovey later. Yeah. And also, following that scene, the next one, is Danny singing, I'm all alone at the drive-in. Like, poor me. Yeah. And Kaniki jokingly asked Danny if Sandy put up a fight at the beach during that song. So these things, they're meant to kind of make us sympathetic to mm-hmm. Danny's plight and also amused by Danny's plight. Right, exactly. <laughs> and Sandy's kind of being a, quote, prude, right? Totally. Which, obviously, I think... We are now, we've evolved since then, I think, culturally to to a degree. But those seeds are there, right? Yes. I, I mean, I, I'm hoping, you know, honestly, every time I think that we've evolved to a certain point, then I hear that, you know, Trump's administration is adding abstinence-only uh, education back in schools and things. So I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I'm, and I want to just say to all of the people listening out there who are pro-abstinence, I am not, and people who are asexual, by the way, I am not anti any of those things. I just think that things should be more comprehensive. We need education from yeah. the time that kids start asking the questions all yeah. the way up. I agree. Absolutely. And I do think that it's so important because of the political changes that we have, the creative outlets, that we're doing our own things, that activists are speaking up. And I definitely see you as an activist. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Are there other films or TV shows that you have seen that perhaps might show some examples? Uh, Let's go ahead and say all the movies uh, pre like 1990. (laughs) I mean, and probably into the 90s, really into the 90s. I mean, honestly, there's so many. I think the standard for film and TV in terms of relationships, consent, sex, all the things are push, push, push. She'll change your mind. And again, most are, most have been cisgendered examples as well, you know, heterosexual cisgendered examples. But so in those scenarios, the guy pushes the girls like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then finally he convinces her. And romantically, too. So, yeah. again, showing that consent is not just about sex. Mm-hmm. A theme that we saw a lot and still see sometimes, I've still seen it in many shows, where if the guy is pushy, 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 it's like, oh, that's so sweet. He really cares about yes. her. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, in Shades of Grey, yes. in the movies, I've, I've seen all three movies. I haven't read the book. I've seen two of them. I haven't seen the last one. So in the first one, yes. you know, well, I guess we see this throughout. But in the first one specifically, I know it's gotten a lot of attention by kind of mass culture for the BDSM, some people calling that violent, where when I saw that, I saw it as, wow, there was so much consent in all of that. Exactly. But where there was not consent was mm. he breaks into her apartment. Hello, stalker. Shows up and just, That's like. terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and when they do have sex after that. Right. It, that's consensual. What right. was not consensual is that yeah. he's freaking stalking her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's what's interesting. I mean, that we could do a whole conversation on, you know, the BDSM community and how I've learned more about consent being invited into those communities. And, you know, for what it's for, – for the idea that people have about alt-lifestyle communities – 
they've been talking about consent for a long, long time. And so there's, they've actually created a lot of things to help prevent boundary crossing and things, which is great. Whereas in, again, mainstream, our mainstream world, we don't learn anything at all. We don't learn anything it's unless so you're true. literally seeking out the knowledge. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, we learn so many things in school and college and all these things, and there's no basic courses, really. I mean, you know, some, uh, some of our colleagues and we speak at um, colleges, but in terms of like curriculum, there's zero things, zero, even in health classes in school, there's nothing, no one I did. Sorry, I'm jumping. But when I, I had my podcast, I had a podcast for about five years, ended it last year. And, um, I might be bringing it back. And if I do, you're coming on. Yay. Yeah, um, about, specifically about dating. But awesome. so long story short, I interviewed groups of people around consent last year. And I wanted to know, did they learn about consent in their sex ed classes? And what were the things? The age groups were 18 to like 70 years old. And like, I think maybe one person out of the 40 people I interviewed said they heard a little bit about consent, but they were younger. They were, they were like 20 years old. Everyone else, no one had, no one learned anything in sex ed about consent. Nothing. It was just don't get pregnant, um, condoms maybe, um, abstinence, and then that, there you go, off into the world. It's, it's insane. All it's I insanity. remember from sex ed as far as anything related to consent we didn't learn about consent at all. Yeah. But I do remember a couple came in to speak to our class oh. about abstinence. Right. They had saved themselves for marriage. Yeah. And oh. they were glad they did. And and then we had somebody come in and talk about having a really bad STD. Wow. But we never really? had anything. Yeah. It's really interesting how and, – wow. and that's still pretty much the case. Like there's – I think – Hopefully now there's some curriculum that maybe addresses it. But the thing is, is they're very limited by what is allowed by the federal guidelines. And the and states, the yeah. curriculum and Absolutely. the state guidelines. Absolutely. Which yeah. is unfortunate. It's so crazy. So I have a question from a listener that yes. I think is perfect because I was like, I am having one of the best dating experts ever on the show. Oh, yay. And it ties in a little bit with what, we, what you were saying about how people don't quite – they're like, how do I act around people mm-hmm. who are trying to navigate and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. I received this question from Gina. She wrote this. Hey, August, I have a question for you and your show. I just started talking to this new guy, and I'm getting mixed signals. Mm -hmm. I asked him to go out sometime. We go to the same school. He said he's definitely interested. Asked for my number. However, he's the worst texter in the world. (laughs) He'll take hours to reply, and the shortest he's ever answered me was in 10 minutes. We've been talking for almost two weeks now, and I just want to go out with them already. So the other day, (laughs) he asked to go for coffee on Wednesday. This was a Monday. Then Wednesday came, and I never heard from him. That's not cool. (laughs) I'm aware he's ultra busy. He also has some things coming up. He seems like a really nice guy. She said, he does yoga. He meditates. We have so much in common. Am I just overthinking this? I don't want to repeat dating patterns of not asserting myself mm. and letting guys get away with improper treatment of me. Good for you, Gina. Yeah, that's great. But at the same time, I don't want to think I'm a, quote, crazy bitch. I've been told <laughs> I have a broken picker as most of my relationships have, have been unhealthy. Oh. And she's had some experience with an abusive relationship. I'm so sorry about that, mm. Gina. Uh, please give me your thoughts. I love you and your show. I love you too, Gina. Thank you so much for your thoughtful message. You know, I think, first of all, one thing that came to mind for me is that it, my heart aches when I hear, and I hear this predominantly exclusively from women Mm. who say, I'm such an overthinker. Yeah. And I know guys who think and think and think and analyze (laughs) and analyze, and they don't have that same kind of shame around it. I think that women are shamed for being like, oh, you're too emotional. You're thinking too hard. You're thinking too much. Totally. And so I want 
I would love for you, Gina, to embrace that you have a big heart and you care. Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah. What would you tell Yeah, me? yeah. And to piggyback on that, you know, somebody who thinks you're annoying or naggy, like that's not a good pick for you. And I know it's really easy for me to say that, you know, here, you know, in the digital world from afar, not knowing you, not knowing this boy and how cute he is and all these things. But really, really, you don't want to waste time with someone who feels that you're being pressury or annoying or all that kind of thing. You want to be with someone who's like, oh, I got a text from her. Oh my gosh, yay! Exactly, and doesn't play a game. One of my favorite things about my partner is that there were never any games. Yes. And it showed me how many times there were in the past. Like, I <laughs> right. didn't, you know, where there's this whole, like, sh- how long should you wait to text back? Totally. It's like, if you get the text and you can text back, go for it, you know? So I'll I be- wonder if maybe he's potentially could be shy, nervous. Or maybe he's busy. Because, I mean, honestly, I will say this on the other hand. You know, I, I definitely have, have had been out with people. I've even had friends who, if I don't respond right away, they're like, oh, you didn't respond. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't. I'm trying not because we are so attached to our phones. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying not to be on my phone all the time. So there's times when I don't have my phone next to me. And some so, people use it to, like, they think they're always talking in. Yeah, real people time. People use Twitter that way, too. I've gotten, yes. like, a hey. And I'm like, three hours later, hello? (laughs) I know. And I'm like, it's like, okay, so I'm busy doing things. Not to mention we do things in the media. So like sometimes I might be on a a set or doing a podcast like right now. I cannot. If someone texts me right now, out of respect for you, August, I'm not going to respond. (laughs) So someone needs to, I think we need to have a, a reasonable expectation in terms of response time with texting. But going back to Gina's question, I think it's really great. It sounds like she's really trying to be in tune and like, um, reflective about things that work for her and that don't. I think it's when we really like somebody, we do get really excited and we do want to hear back. I will say I don't like that he like they made plans and he just didn't follow up. That's like literally Gina. That's like that's deal breaker, like number one for me, because it shows a lack of integrity. And again, we all can be busy. But again, because we all have phones just, oh, something came up. You know, I've had people in the last few. So everyone should know I'm always kind of in a certain I'm I have, I have different partners in my life. I go from different statuses of exclusivity and not. Um, but I am g- generally I'm dating regularly. Um, for me personally, I definitely like integrity is a big thing. I've had people I've had guys cancel on me like 15 minutes before we're supposed to go out. I, I mean, those that's absolutely the end for me. Because it's like you should want to hang out with me. And you should have enough respect for me that if you don't if you can't hang out, but you're letting me know so I can do something else with somebody else. Yeah, respect each other's oh, time yes. and energy. I don't like that part either. And I always think, okay, so if I give this person the benefit of the doubt, mm. is there is there a good <laughs> scenario there? And I think, did you think it was next Wednesday? Did Oh, you're you know, so nice. I, I can't, I can't even it? do it. It is. Well, I'm, I'm Midwest too. I'm Ohio, but yeah. I, I guess I've lost more of it. Because for me, honestly, yeah. it's more about – time. Like, you know, we're busy people. All of us are. But, you know, a lot of my schedule is so scheduled. So if somebody cancels last minute, that's something I've I've said no to to hang out with somebody else. So it really does mean a lot to me. You know, it's like a yeah. respect for what I'm doing in my life. You and know? wouldn't you reach out and say, hey, yes! I thought we were going to have plans today. That's one thing I would definitely recommend doing is just saying, I thought we were going to hang out. Although I do hate that too, because it, I, the person who's being like ditch, so to speak. I feel like it's not their responsibility to reach out. It's but totally not. If yeah. you're trying to confirm, it's not a bad way to go. Gina, I hope this was helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's complicated, man. So in a dating context, yes. consent, all yes. this, I know you've heard this question. Say it. <laughs> when, how do you respond to people who say, well, it's like I can't even, 
interact with a woman anymore. Yeah, I've heard. So the main things that I hear are, I hear that I, I'm afraid. I, I mean, I know both men and women who are totally opting out of dating right now, like for various reasons, right? Um, I also am hearing, um, I feel like I can't, like, you know, the guy I went out with, I feel like I can't even go up to someone's apartment anymore. Or, you know, if they come up, then there's this expectation. So there's so many things around this. I think what's happening right now is there is a lot of, there's a lot of information happening. And there's a lot that's happened in the last year with Me Too and all of the Time's Up and all of these things happening. There's a lot of people, well, I will say this really quick. Um, I've had a lot of men clients say that they're afraid they're going to be accused of something. My response to that, and I, especially for the male listeners right now, I get it. I hear what you're saying. And it is, I, I would feel some anxiety around it as well. You know, people are not afraid to speak up about something that's happened to them. Um, but as you probably, if we really look at it closely, most of the cases that have come out have been really extreme cases. It's not somebody touching someone's hand on a date and then, oh, I'm accusing you and you're going to get fired from your job. It's like serious stuff that people are bringing up. So for like, you know, say like the average single guy out there, you know, I get the anxiety. I get it. But if you're being respectful, you have nothing to worry about. You know, it's something I think I forget what the percentage is, something like two to eight percent of people lie about sexual assault. And again, we're not talking about minor things where there's, you know, a miscommunication or, for example, Aziz Ansari. I've I've mentioned it a few times. I I, want to say I want to put a little asterisk on this conversation really quickly by saying that um, I feel bad that he's the he's gotten been the poster boy for this for the bad date quote unquote example and we've i've been through it like i think most people i know have been on a date or been in a makeout session that ended that way or was sort of similar i feel bad that his name is attached to this having said that the thing that i noticed that guys should really really be aware of in this conversation around consent and dating is that at certain points in the article written by in babe babe babe.com babe.net um if that story is true it seemed like the woman a few times said, I don't want to hate you. And so meaning like, I want to stop this. I don't want to progress. She was uncom- very obviously uncomfortable. She was not enthusiastic. Okay. So I talk about that in my book. Yeah. You know, the enthusiasm that guys, men, men, listen, listen, really everyone listening, really. Um, enthusiastic consent is the new normal. That is the new normal. So when we hear that. Every time I hear the term, I kind of giggle because I hear, I hear like, yay, yes, you know. <laughs> but I know it just, it means, we you can tell when someone's into it or not. And I do think I have a lot of compassion for all genders mm-hmm. for hearing messages like, you should play hard to get. If she's totally. acting this way, right. push a little harder. Yeah. We've all learned this stuff. Yeah. But we all need to unlearn it. Right. And most guys that I know are super respectful. Yes. They're awesome people. Same here. And if we are treating people with respect, right. you're just not going to have to worry about that. Right. And so, you know, there, I agree 100%. There are nuances with this, meaning, you know, I've had people ask, well, okay, so what does it mean to be enthusiastic? Because you're right. People aren't going to be like, oh, my God, yay, touch my boob or whatever. I mean, some people might. But – but enthusiasm is basically you're not questioning whether or not someone is into something. So body language in turn, you know, is there like a push and pull happening? You know, is someone asking for you to do something with them? Is basically, again, if we go back to certain stories in the news, if there's someone who's hesitant, 
if there's a hesitancy there, if someone's like, I'm not sure, if you're doing the thing we're talking about in pop culture where you're kind of, oh, I'm going to convince them, that's not enthusiastic. That is the new normal. So yeah, that might have been okay back in the past, but now that is not okay. This is the evolution of this conversation is we're in the middle of an evolution right now. The evolution is we want to make sure that we want to do everything we can to make sure that people are enthusiastic in the interactions we're having, especially sexually. And again, I just want to don't want to harp too much on it, but let's let's rethink or reformulate the idea that if I'm kissing someone, that automatically means that they're going to want to have intercourse with me because that is not what it means. It means they might just want to kiss you. You know, it might and they mean, may not know yet. It's, right. You know, it's a continual thing. So you might be making out and either yes. one of you, because there's also, I think, a lot of pressure on guys to mm-hmm. they have to always seem like they're aroused and into it. True. And one of the most powerful and beautiful things that I think a guy can do is allow themselves to be vulnerable and say, you know what? Check in with yourself, first of all, because I yes. think we can absorb these messages like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be. I totally. I learned that if I go back to an apartment, this is what happens. Yes. So I should be macho and I should not be the person <laughs> who. But if you said, you know what? I just I love kissing you. I, I would love to just do this. Yes. What do you think? I mean, I think most of us would be like, wow, that's different and really interesting. And anything we might be interested in, like really excited about sexual stuff with them later, whenever they're ready for it. Yeah. But I just want to go back to um I did a I did a I was part of a panel with one of your former guests, Cassie Brighter. Um it was called the workshop was called Dating in the Era of Me Too. And there were a lot it was I well, it was, let's just say there were a lot of cisgendered men in attendance there. And it was really great because a lot of the guys did ask questions like this. You know, one guy specifically um, basically said that he had been rejected a few times by women who said that he wasn't aggressive enough and who didn't want to talk about consent. And so it's an interesting thing where, you know, the the answer I gave to him was, you know, well, then those aren't, it's easy for me to say once again, but those aren't good, good picks for you. That's not a good fit for you. If you're interested in someone who's making you feel because in his words it was something like he was he felt like less of a man because this woman was like you're not just like you know picking me up and tossing me over your shoulder and he's like well but consent so i don't know if that's appropriate if that's not what he wants to do he shouldn't have to do right and so so what this all boils down to with you know consent okay so respect but also you know, if you're really clear on what you're comfortable with and what your boundaries are, then it's going to be easier for you to find people who are in alignment with that. So some people might not want to have a super in-depth conversation. In my book, I talk about um, there's a lot of online you can find these lists called yes, no, maybe lists where they have a list of things from kissing to, you know, all touching someone's hand to touching a thigh to intercourse, all these different things. You go through the list and it could, it could be a fun interaction with someone you're dating to be like, oh, here's my yes yes, no, maybe list. I've circled my yes, no, maybes of all these things and let's see yours. But so if you're not in alignment with yes, no, and maybes with someone you're interested in, it might not be a good fit, no matter how much you're attracted to someone. And, you know, we were just saying before, I don't like the idea that, oh, I can convince this person to be into this thing. You know, if somebody's a maybe, I mean, once you get to know them, they might sometime be interested in in that thing that you're interested in. But I don't like the idea of coercion or persuasion of, you know, I got to get to this goal. I have to get to this goal now and I'm going to convince them in this moment right now that they're going to want this too. Yeah. Instead of the goal of let's get to know each other. Yeah. Let's let's try to stay in sync. Let's try to be in communication. And let's do the things that we both 
are a yes to right now rather than I'm a yes, you're a no or maybe I'm going to try to convince you, you know? Yeah, we got to move away from that. Enthusiastic consent. That's what it's moving towards. I love it. I yeah. think it's really powerful. So we're going to get, well, we are pretty serious. We're going to get pretty se- <laughs> more serious. Yes. We're going get, to get into some some pretty heavy stuff here. And then we're going to bounce back to some very fun consenty kind of stuff and some more fun dating stuff. But we have another question that I think is really, really important. We have from Lois who asked this. Hi, August. I'm a 20-year-old girl and I feel very out of touch with my sexuality. I experienced sexual abuse and assault many times through my childhood. I've never really had a consensual sexual experience. But when I have fantasies, they confuse me. They often involve being submissive, overpowered, age play, and often involve violence. Is this normal? Are my fantasies, kinks, or whatever you would call them caused by my abuse? Will I be able to have a normal relationship? I'm really scared I will never be normal when it comes to sex and sexuality or feel safe or comfortable in an intimate relationship. Basically, am I broken? Lois, you are not broken. You are so... So beloved and beautiful and worthy on every single level. And I'm so grateful for your question mm-hmm. and that you allowed yourself to be so vulnerable. And Dr. Megan Fleming of greatlifegreatsex.com has a wonderful answer for you. But I just wanted to insert a few things about rape fantasies because even that term, I think, freaks some people out because it's mm-hmm. like, should I should I fantasize about this? Is this okay? And on the surface, it can seem really kind of maybe bizarre or, like you said, you're wondering, is this healthy? Why would somebody lustfully think about something that is not pleasant or is so hurtful? But according to sexual health and psychological experts, these fantasies aren't only okay, but they're super common. And about 30 to 60 percent of women, based on these particular studies, experience them. And for some women, they're therapeutic. So I watched this show uh, called Sexual Healing, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Laura Berman on oh, Showtime. She's amazing. She's so good. Yeah. And she had this program where she worked with different couples, and she worked with this one particular couple. And during this one session, she asks uh, Sabrina, who is the, the wife in this couple, uh, to share. And Sabrina said, I need someone to rip off my clothes and he's just too nice and so gentle. And Dr. Berman says, a sort of submission fantasy. And Sabrina says, yeah, maybe. And maybe that's bad. <laughs> and Dr. Berman says, no. In fact, a lot of women who have been through sexual trauma, even women who haven't, have rape fantasies, submission fantasies. Another woman on the program, the most shy and conservative of the bunch, shared a fantasy in which a man enters her home and rapes her, quote, taking her from behind over the sofa until the act gradually becomes pleasurable. Then he forces her to prepare food for him, which is interesting because she hates cooking. She makes him a sandwich before he, quote, takes her again, this time on the kitchen table. Because she considers herself prudish, she told Dr. Berman that she associates her fantasy with knocking down her inhibitions and thinking more freely. Because it's sort of a way to work through it. It feels arousing because you're in control of a thing that has exactly. exactly. So I think embracing our fantasies is really important. I I do want Lois to find healing. Lois, I would love for you to get all the support that you need. Uh, but there's no shame in having any kind of fantasy. You're not hurting anyone. And I really want you to know that you are not broken. And, you know, I just want to – well said. I just want to add to that too that – you know, again, if it's consensual, if it's a consensual taking of someone taking you consensually, um, 
I, you know, I, I feel even for myself, I feel like rape fantasy. That phrase feels very heavy to me. I don't like that phrase, but I understand the action that people might want from it. Um, and the, you saying being submissive is a, a great way to express that, too. But as long as it's consensual, like you said, no fantasy is weird. You know, as long as both people are in agreement, back to what the consent definition is, both people are in agreement of what it is, right. then great. And that's when you're acting on it, right? Yeah. So you can also have a fantasy that feels really sexy to you and you think about it and maybe you masturbate to it. It doesn't mean that you necessarily even want to act on it. Yeah, you know? so, absolutely. So it's okay. to, But I think Good what point. can happen is if you're not realizing, which is easy to do, if you don't realize, oh, it's okay to have these fantasies, then exactly. they can fester. And that, that shame is what can become insidious. Yes. So here's what Dr. Megan had to say about your question, Lois. I think you're going to get some, some good takeaways here. Lois. Thank you so much for your question, and I hope that other young ladies and women um, who might identify with uh, sexual abuse or unwanted sexual experiences can equally uh, learn that healing is possible. Um, you know, all sexual experiences should be consensual, and it breaks my heart to hear that you feel like you've never even had one, um, and that this is been years of assault um, and abuse throughout both your teen and childhood by both men and women. I mean, I can only imagine how confused you are about even what is a turn on and what feels good because you've never had an opportunity in a safe space or with a partner where you felt safe and it was consensual to sort of explore um, what really feels right in your body. And so, first of all, I want to say that it's not in any way surprising to me that your fantasies um, are, in a sense, a way of your mind trying to take what had been an experience of victim and becoming, in a sense, vicar, that sense of mastery, that basically it is a way of undoing or making sense of the trauma because in the context of the fantasy where you're being submissive and overpowered and, and younger in a way that you were in real life and the violent aspects of it, it, it's taking what had happened and was abusive and traumatic and you were a victim of to, in the fantasy, it's a turn on and you are aroused by it. And that is what sort of psychologically is trying to undo the trauma by getting aroused by that experience. And so I do think that Yes, the the fact, and I'd also be curious, like, is this the only kind of fantasies that you have? Or do you have a range of fantasies? Because when and if this exclusively is what helps you get turned on, then I would say, absolutely, I think it has been uh, shaped in part by your abuse. And that I don't know you've even yet been able to explore or know, as I said earlier, for yourself, or certainly not with a partner, what feels good in your body, Um and I imagine you might even have um, difficulties, understandably, with intimacy. And so, you know, I'm going to make a few suggestions and book recommendations because, you know, first and foremost, I want you to know that you, this, these are things that have been done to you. And I want you to seek and look into, if you haven't already, working with a therapist to understand sort of the how, why, what is the patterning of uh, the repetition of the abuse and also to what gets in the way of your 
knowing sort of your boundaries and setting limits and owning and feeling empowered to own your no. Um, I imagine that this is very complicated and nuanced, and it's not something that in any way I could give justice to in this quick Q&A, but I could just say that it's, from my perspective, really important that you know as a young adult how to be safe and to keep yourself safe and to develop and get involved with individuals where it's a healthy relationship, where uh, there's support and um, it's both a giving and receiving of pleasure and just being a, a partner and a friend. And so, you know, first and foremost, finding a therapist and one who ideally has um, a background specializing in trauma, as well as looking at ASECT, which is um, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. So it's AASECT.org. It's an amazing organization for those who are really qualified and have uh, the specialized training in sex therapy. And within, um, if you find a therapist by state, typically there, there will be a description and they will um, share with you what are their areas of expertise. So you would definitely be looking for someone who has uh, areas of expertise in sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual trauma. Um, I think that would be ideally the right fit. And what I always say about seeking out a therapist is as often emotionally um, challenging as that is to be so vulnerable and so exposed and to share so much of your personal history, because in some ways it can feel almost like re-traumatizing yourself. It is really important that you feel like you feel like there's a good fit. Um, So I strongly suggest seeing at least least two, possibly three therapists, because before you embark on this journey of healing, you really want to feel like you've got that person who feels like you most can, you feel a sense of rapport and a sense of safety and a sense of trust and a sense of you, you can be completely honest without any sense of judgment. So that is um, certainly first and foremost. The other thing I would say is in terms of understanding the sexual arousal, a book I often recommend is um, the one by Michael Bader, which is um, The Arousal, The Secret Logic of Sexual Fantasies. Because there's a lot of literature that helps, um, will give some context to helping you understand how something that had been a trauma in real life can be a turn on in fantasy, as I mentioned. And then my third recommendation is uh, a wonderful book by Wendy Maltz. And it is, uh, believe it or not, it's third edition already. And it's called The Sexual Healing Journey, A Guide for Survivors of Sexual Abuse. I would definitely say start with the book, start with finding a therapist, this history in no way indicates what's possible for you in terms of a healthy um, sexual experience and relationship. And that, you know, discovering you absolutely will be normal. It's just that you're going to go through a journey of your own sexual healing. And that is a process and one certainly that you're not alone in, in that a lot of other women and men have been in your shoes, as well as doing that journey with someone so you're not alone in that process, that you really have um, a guide and somebody who's helping you figure out what it is to be safe and to have those boundaries. I really do, Lois, I hope you will follow up with us. Let us know um, if you've found that therapist and what those next steps are on your healing journey and wishing you the best. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about healing being possible. This is a process, Lois, and anyone else who is experiencing this kind of healing, she was absolutely right. Lois is far from alone. So many people Mm. are healing from all kinds of things, but in particular, sexual trauma is so common. Yeah. And allowing yourself that, that grace to say, this is where I am now. And there's beauty and strength and hope and brilliance in that. Yeah. And then, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I feel, I felt lately that there's been a little bit of a lull in the Me Too. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I'll just say it like that. It's, there's been a lull in the accusations recently and such. And I'm like, well, what is next? You know, what is next? So the next part of all of this, I feel personally is, you know, journey to healing. It is education around consent. It is knowing one's boundaries. One of the things we haven't talked about yet is, um, you know, I grew up with a lot of strong women who always taught me to always be outspoken if I felt uncomfortable about something. Which has paid off well, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But, you you know, and that's, that's, you know, with certain cases that have been in the news, you know, there's, you know, some of the criticisms have been, why didn't this woman say something before or leave the situation? Or not everyone has those skills. And we make an assumption that everything is equal with all of us and all these scenarios. I would have done that. So why didn't they do that? And it's like, it's not that simple. And especially for saying there's no like consistent education or education around these things, then why are we making assumptions that everyone's learned these things or has, or just even has, has the agency to stand up for themselves. I mean, and the, the body's response to trauma can be fight, flight, or freeze. Exactly. Freeze, which we don't talk about as much. Right. And trauma can carry on. It, It may be, I interviewed somebody recently, Winnie, who is an amazing author very outspoken now, but after she was raped by a stranger during a mm. hike, oh wow, she went through agoraphobia. She couldn't. She was a very outgoing, adventurous person and could not leave her apartment. Yeah, you know, people. Yeah. I think it's easy to kind of try to lump things together, and everyone's experience is so unique, and every situation is so different. You know how we process everything is so different. Absolutely. Absolutely, I also think that embracing our sexuality and that comprehensive education we're talking about Mm -hmm. is such a big part of the solution because one of the reasons that so many of us don't feel that we have the agency is because we never learned anything about our bodies or we learned these crazy myths. I still hear from Mm -hmm. people in their 20s who say that they learned that if they masturbate, they're going to hell, or if they think about sex, this happens, but boys can't help it. There's, you know, this is just something that we need to get rid of. And because those ideas, I think, go really deep. And I think it fuels that sort of culture Oh, absolutely. Culture it's, thing. It is deeply ingrained. You know, it, it kind of makes me it makes me think about, you know, in the conversation of, um, you know, kissing, jumping straight to intercourse. I've had people say, but if we're already starting, you know, making out, I, how am I supposed to stop myself? And I'm like, oh, my God. So we so basically for me, that statement is we go on autopilot. Some of us go on autopilot when we're making out with someone. So when we're on autopilot, then all choices or comfort in the other person goes away. So we need to re-educate about that because clearly either there has been bad education or no education, as we're saying, around what? I can actually stop myself from, you know, continuing to make out with someone or I can, you know, zip up my pants if that person isn't comfortable. What? I can do that? Yes. Yes, you can. And just for anyone who's thinking, but what about blue blue balls. I just want to say people with vulvas get blue clits too. It's in my book. You can read all about it. Yes. Betty Dodson talked with me about it. And it is, it is, yes, you may have a lot of physical arousal. 
that doesn't mean you need to finish it with that person. Well, and it doesn't mean you that can you walk away and take right, care of yourself. Right. It never is an excuse to violate somebody else never, and push ever, someone ever. or make them feel bad for not no. No. And also I think it brings up that point you brought up earlier, which is so important that it's like we get so fixated on this finish line. And yes. I know I'm guilty of this because I love quickies. I am such <laughs> I'm like <laughs> I love them. And to the point that like to a fault That's sometimes so because yeah. I've needed to more learn to like pace myself yeah. and like to really enjoy what you're experiencing now. Yes. And I'm all about like, yes, I want an orgasm. Like, that's a beautiful <laughs> thing to want. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it should be the whole thing, though. Yeah. And if we are so focused on the orgasm, which, again, admitting I have done this many times, but, like, if that's <laughs> where you're focusing all of your energy, you might not enjoy that kiss as much. Absolutely. You might not enjoy that. And, and the more that you kiss and the more that you touch nipples, no matter what your gender hugely erogenous, <laughs> hugely. And all those things send blood flowing. So then if you do end up having penetration, which to me, all of that is sex. Yeah. Like making yes. out all naked. I don't think we should see it as like, here's foreplay. Yeah. Penis and vagina, sex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, again, it's, I know people who, to your point, and again, this is why communication is really important. I know people whose nipples are super sensitive and they don't want you to touch them. And so, you know, but again, you're right. It's definitely an erogenous zone, but if someone's extra sensitive, but again, that's why communication, have a conversation, figure out what, you know, you're into, what they're into. Yes, no, maybe lists, all the things, you know? Yeah. And as you get to know a person, it becomes, you know, a person, right? Which doesn't mean you don't practice consent, but you get much more attuned to things like, oh, I can tell this person's not into it. Whereas uh, yes. in the beginning, you might not have to ask a question. Right. But you don't have to, like, stop and be like, excuse me, but do you think that this is a good idea? Like, I think people are really intimidated in, by something that can be really sexy. Absolutely. Like, Does this feel good? Or would you prefer or, or would you prefer it like this? Or show me what you want me to do. So it's interesting because in my book, I have um, – I have – consent advice from over 30 experts, including you, August. Yay. Um, And the one, one quote that someone added was, it was talking about enthusiastic consent and her story was one of the sexiest, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head. One of the sexiest examples of consent in the conversation was someone was like, they they were sitting together on a bench or something. And the person looked over and was like, I would really love to kiss you right now. Like, would you be interested in a kiss? And she said it was like the only time in her life, she's in her thirties, only time in her life that someone's ever asked her. And she said it was super arousing to her. To feel so wanted instead of someone just like taking. Yes. Because we want to feel wanted. Absolutely. We do. And I, again, I just want to say again, for the guys out there, back to both of our points we made earlier, there's some people who don't want to have that conversation. But again, to know that you don't want to have a conversation is to have a conversation before about the fact that you don't like to have consent conversations. Because again, we've been there's too much of us going in blindly. Oh, I'm just going to try trial and error. We'll see what happens until I cross a boundary and someone's upset. So if you're we not sure how to go around all of this and you you are uncomfortable with the conversation mm-hmm. then, would the ideal thing to be like, okay, this person, maybe we just started dating, just simply having a conversation around like, 
okay, this is really uncomfortable for me. Like these conversations about consent, yes. it's confusing. How do you feel? Yeah, yeah. That's an amazing way to start the conversation. Um, I also feel like, you know, there's a lot of scenarios where, again, reading body language. Now, there's a lot of nuances with it, within that. But again, if you err on the side of caution, if someone's not enthusiastically engaging with you in whatever you're doing at that moment, then maybe take a step back. You can check in with someone. Like you said earlier, it's a fluid conversation. It's not just, oh, we had that consent conversation on our first date two weeks ago, and that was the conversation, and we're not going to revisit that. No, it's an ongoing conversation. the same thing all the time? Like, nobody wants to eat the same food every meal either. Like, it's, we're going to change. And and the other thing about consent, I feel, is it, it is so rousing that I feel like you can get so much more pleasure out of this really consensual experience where you were checking in with each other. Yes. And it does help, I think, with the pacing. So yeah. I, I know from experience and other people have told me that when they have that kind of dialogue, they can enjoy much more full body pleasure. Absolutely. That's you don't get with the quickie usually, <laughs> unfortunately. But when you take your time and you, whether that's, you know, normally you're a few minutes and it's 10 or it's 20, or maybe you want to hang out for hours and do like the orgasm control thing where you stop yeah. and start and, mm-hmm. and coming up with, you know, let's decide on a fantasy or new experience we can try together. Yes. Because it, it does seem like it can be fun. What are some other ways to make consent a, a fun experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, it really has become this, like, serious, like, exhausting, like, scary conversation. And so my book, I really try to make the book easy to read. And there are examples in it there. It has but great illustrations, by the way, yes, you guys. Like, these cartoons. Visuals. And it's, yes. it's just not an yes. intimidating read. Um, but, you know— Start Like you said, starting off by, you know, saying, oh, you know, I, I really like the idea of, and I, I acknowledge that it's not easy. These conversations aren't easy verbally for a lot of people. But even like, you know, if I, for me, I, if I'm out with somebody, I'll use examples from my own life. I'm sitting across the table or at a bar with somebody. I can tell we have a vibe going and I'll say, so like, what's, what's like something that you're really like, that is a huge turn on for you? Or, you know, what's something that like, you really like doing like when you're really into somebody something that's kind of so it's a general question I'm not saying do you like to be touched here or there it's more of like describe to me things that you're into I love that absolutely so you can kind of weave things into the conversation a little bit um you know I mean I've definitely had started conversations off I don't recommend this necessarily but talking about someone who's maybe done something weird in terms of Touching Those me are weird, fun like talks, though, yeah, I know, like, like <laughs> that like, weird thing that happened. Somebody was turned on by my collarbone once. True story. They were like, "Your collarbone is so sexy." Well, I'm like, "Very lovely." Well, thank you. But I was like, "Oh, oh," and so like that. Things like that will naturally, it will kind of like ease you into conversations about. Oh, collarbone. Yeah, not really. But I really do love like the nape of a neck and yours is beautiful or like certain things like that are really great. Um, The yes, no, maybe lists again are great. You know, you can print those out from online. You can even look at it on your phone, you know, and be like, especially I I will say that I I feel like those lists are generally speaking because there are like some of them are like a thousand items long. And so some of those can be more for, you know, deeper intimacy interaction. So, like, I wouldn't recommend necessarily on a first date being like, here's my yes, no, maybe list of all of my sex favorite sexual positions. (laughs) 
probably not on the first date. But again, when you're really starting to get to know somebody and you really feel connected and maybe there already has been a little intimacy, those lists can be really great to to take it up a notch in terms of knowing like what your likes and dislikes are. And if people feel a little shy about that, they could blame us and, and say, <laughs> I was listening to this show and they said I have to do this. And then I read this great book and it said, I have to do this. So will you just do this with me? <laughs> yes, yes. Or hey, better, better yet, here's a book I love. You could go buy it or borrow mine and listen to this podcast because they're both great and you'll learn a lot. There you go. There you go. <laughs> How important do you think it is to approach all of this with the genuine desire to to get to know someone versus because I want to have sex with this person over here? Yeah. I'm going to take these steps. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I will say in a perfect world, it should be about, oh my gosh, I just want to respect people I'm going out with. So I want to integrate this into my life. By the way, in the book, it's not just sex. There is, you know, there's a whole thing on boundaries with friends, with family, with colleagues, of course, because that's been a big thing. So, I mean, it's really about, you know, part of the book and part of this is about getting to know what your own boundaries are. So when you know or can feel that something's being overstepped, that you can have the tools to possibly do what you can to, you know, take yourself out of that scenario or express your discomfort. That's part of it. The other part is, you know, teaching people how to not push people's boundaries. Because obviously that's, I I would say that's the, I won't say, let's just say they're, they're both legitimately big topics in this conversation. You know, it's not one or the other, it's both. It's knowing your boundaries and expressing them however that you can and or, not pushing others' boundaries. Yeah, and it's then really important when people when people express their own boundaries. I'm always like, wow, that was awesome. Yeah, a friend of mine even says like, would I trust somebody's no? Because if somebody's saying no, they care about me, and I I know I can trust what they're saying. I know if somebody says no to me, I'm not going to push their boundaries because they're saying no to me. Um, but I do want to say as well, you know, I have a whole section on the book about you know saying a verbal no. That is not easy for everybody. And again, like we just said, all things aren't equal. Not everyone learns to be forceful in their no. So again, you know, I feel like in so many of these conversations, it goes back to like victim shaming or why didn't the victim do this or the survivor? or Why didn't this person who had something done to them do this? And it's like, no, no, no. So rather than shift it on the person who was violated, how about we reframe that and say, You know, am I doing everything I can to not push someone's boundaries? You know, am I really paying attention to this person? Am I am I so goal oriented that I'm not even paying attention to this person, kind of their body language kind of closing in or, you know, them saying, I'm not so sure. Can we slow down? And me just being like, oh, no, I got to go for the finish. By the way, I wanted to add to your quickie statement. Um, If someone if you know, there are legitimate times when you're like, you know, I do want an orgasm or I do want, you know, a quickie. Okay, well, masturbation. There's a million tools. There's a million. And for those of you, by the way, who are polyamorous or, you know, have multiple partners, you know, maybe there's a partner that, you know, the quickie is perfect with. You know, I mean, again, it's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. But I mean, again, it's about doing what you can to get your needs met without infringing on someone else's boundaries. That's what this is about. And making sure that if you are going for the quickie or the longie, that you are (laughs) both on that same page, that you both are. Yeah, yeah. And and you do, as you get to know someone, you get into a rhythm. It's not like you're going to have to ask 20 questions every time. (laughs) You do everything for sure. How has this work influenced your own experience in the world? 
I mean, I mean, for one, just being a dating coach for 10 years, I, I, I while we were saying before, I've, I've been in a lot of different subcultures. And so I can kind of see if there's, if there's tactics being used, I can sometimes see those and sniff those out <laughs> so they don't necessarily work on me. So that's one real reason or one way that it's influenced me is that I'm kind of hip to what's happening out there. Um, also, I mean, I guess I've gotten, I've gained a lot more compassion for Again, others who don't share my experience. I grew up around a bunch of strong women. You know, I, I've, I've, like you said earlier, I've had the experience of, of having a lot of a really amazing men in my life, even if they weren't a good fit for like a long term partnership or something. You know, I've, 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 I've seen. You know, again, for everyone listening out there who's like, there's no good men, women out there. There's a lot of really great people out there. A lot of really great people. And so, you know, I don't, I think we can get really jaded in that. I think, you know, whether it's dating or the consent conversation, especially with consent, it can be so, it can feel kind of like, well, I can't trust anybody or I, I feel like, you know, everyone's got some ulterior motive and I'm not going to be respected. But there are people who really do want to respect you. And there are people who really are trying to be better. There's a lot of men I know who are really, really listening to what's happening right now and really trying to be better and really trying to, like, you know, listen to what's happening. So, so um, you know, that's the thing. That's the biggest thing I've learned, I guess, is that, well, two things is that, oh, two more things that I, other people who don't have my experience, I can learn a lot from, you know, I've, I've had some violations happen in my life, but some people have had, a lot of people have had way more serious violations happen than I have. So listening to their stories has been so helpful for me. Um, in my teaching and just everything I do, but also, you know, it's been really, it's been really also, well, on a negative note though, I will say it has been interesting and very eye-opening to hear those stories because I haven't experienced a ton of those things. And again, I have experienced like a hand on my vagina without, without consent and things like that. But hearing some of the really intense stories has been, I think it's important to hear those. Uh, Cause again, there's a level of empathy you gain. And I think we, I think I'm hoping that that's what's happening in society right now is that for hearing all these stories and hearing everyone speaking out that we're able to relate in some way. And if we can't relate, then maybe we're like, Wow, I didn't realize that was happening, but I'm hearing it, and I I believe what that what I'm hearing is true in this era of fake news. That I'm hearing personal experiences from people, and that wow, okay, there is something that needs to change. Then I'm hearing all these consistent stories of these things. You know, listening is so key. Listening, listening, oh. letting that defense guard down. You know, and there are times when some people who, if they've gone through sexual trauma, it might be hard for them to. You know, they need to set their boundaries, too, oh, absolutely. as far as what they're uh, consuming as a, you know, it, in the world. But mm. like you said, if, if this is all foreign to you, yeah. there's never been a better time to listen. Absolutely. And I do think that because we are hearing so much about the, the people who have harassed people, attacked people, assaulted people, the softer voices of the people who are doing so much good. Yeah. We may not hear from as much, but right. they're out there. Absolutely. You know, I said I was uh, we were talking earlier and I I went to see Tarana Burke speak um here in Los Angeles. She's the originator of the Me Too movement, but not the Me Too movement that's the hashtag on Twitter. She's been in communities on a on a very grassroots level um healing 
survivors and facilitating healing amongst survivors for like 15 years. And so it was very interesting to see her, hear her speak, see her and hear her speak, um, because she was saying that it's not just about her. People were asking, you know, well, is it weird that, you know, these actresses have kind of taken over the movement? And she's like, no, no. She's like, it can't just be my voice. She's like, I'm only one person. Like, I'm only in one city at a time. Like, there's got to be more people. And so she was actually very excited that, you know, it wasn't just her, that it caught on to the point where it was, you know, it's in our mainstream conversation or and has been. She was very excited. She's like, I need all of you. We need men in this movement. Like we need everybody. And so, I mean, I was so inspired to hear her speak and say that, you know, because I'm doing, I feel like, you know, me writing this book was, you know, again, I hesitated for like two years writing it because I'm like, why, why me? I'm not a psychologist. You know, I'm a dating coach. It's very specific. You know, why should I be the one to write this book? And it's like, I don't have to be the only one to write this book. There's going to be other people writing these books, which is great. And every book is going to be helpful. And, you know, that was the other reason why I wanted to have other experts in the book like yourself. You know, I wanted I didn't want it to just be my voice. It can't just be my voice. I have a very specific experience, which is great, but I needed to have other perspectives and other levels of expertise because, again, this is way bigger than me. This is way bigger than my career or, you know, this is this is, again, the evolution of our society is happening. And I hate to say it, but the people who don't get on board are going to be left behind. Because this is, this is the new normal. This is what's happening now. So powerful. So important. I'm so grateful for your work. I would say that if we weren't friends. Oh. Tr- truly. Thank I mean, you. actually, we met here, didn't we? Yeah, the first I think the first time I met Maybe. you was in the studio. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so grateful for your voice, your the uniqueness that you bring, and your experiences really do create this expertise that, nobody else uniquely has. And I think it's so, so valuable. So tell everyone where they can learn more about you, stay updated on the book, find you on social media. Thank you so much. So yes, my name, Erin Tillman. I'm known as the Dating Advice Girl. You can Google search either one of those, Erin Tillman or the Dating Advice Girl. I pop up. I'm very happy about that on Google. The Googles Googles have been very supportive. Um, And uh, yeah, the book is called The Consent Guidebook, A Practical Approach to Consensual, Respectful, and an and in the enthusiastic interactions. It's a mouthful. So the consent guidebook, let's just uh, like narrow it down a little bit. But so yeah, it's, it's it will be available in April and um, it'll be in paperback, but also Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, in the stores and online, iBooks. It'll be everywhere. I'll be speaking everywhere. I'm doing a lot of conventions and that kind of thing too. And if people follow you on, I know you're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yes. You get all of the, when, as soon as it's out. Yes. I, I, I love the social media. I love and hate the social medias, but I will be promoting <laughs> all of it on there. Um, at um, I'm on Facebook, The Dating Advice Girl. Um, and then find me on Twitter at Dating Advice GRL. Um, and on Instagram at Daniel Vice URL. I'm on YouTube too. Just Google search me. You'll find me. Yes. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you subscribe on iTunes if you haven't yet, where you can also leave a simple review. You can also follow us on Spotify and find extras, links to all kinds of things, including Erin's awesome book coming up soon at augustmclaughlin.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.